Hi everybody, welcome to Kip Nugget. Before we get started, let's introduce ourselves. My name is Callie, I'm one of your co-hosts this morning, and I'm here with my husband and our other co-host, Hagana. Hello. Before we get started, let's first thank our sponsor, whom we're so excited to have as a sponsor. I mean, I can't believe we got the sponsorship. It's huge for us, but we would like to thank officially Tuck Barn Yoga, Philadelphia's premier boutique barn yoga studio. Bar that burns. Yoga that melts. Okay, so Hagana, what do you want to talk today? Talk about today? I think you wanted to talk about healthcare, right? Oh yeah, I did. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to talk about healthcare. Um, I I work intimately with healthcare. I'm a healthcare lawyer. That's my you know full time day job on top of running the tux. Um, so technically, I'm a risk and I'm an I'm an ERISA attorney. ERISA sounds really boring, and for most people, it, it is. is. <laughs> hey, you don't have to say that. I'm allowed to say it. You're not. Um, but what that means is that I work with um, employers and I help them manage and provide employee benefits, including your retirement plans, like your 401ks, pension plans, any sort of non-qualified plans like deferred compensation plans. Hagana's rolling his eyes. He's like, why is she still talking? But most importantly- we just lost half of our listeners. Okay. They hopefully stayed. If I lost you, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I lead a boring life. Um, but what I also do is I work with employers who provide health plans. Sorry if you guys hear Chloe crying in the background. She wants a ball. Um, so I work intimately with the system. Um, and I wanted to just talk about a few things that, to me, show a broken system, um, showcase a broken system. So let's start. I'm going to play professor here with Hagana. He likes that. Hagana, how do you access healthcare currently? How do I access healthcare? Yeah, like where do you get your healthcare? How do you get it? So I get health. I have health insurance through my em employer. Okay. And um, we pay, I think, about one third of the total cost. They cover the other two thirds or so. And then um, there's some kind of search engine where I can pick my insurance, and then it shows all the options, doctors, places oh, I can go. Okay, so it's a search engine for your provider. So you're looking for a provider, a doctor. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just go back for a second. So you mentioned your employer pays two thirds of your premium for health insurance. So just on a basic level, what Hagana is referring to is he gets healthcare through health insurance. He has a health insurance um, plan offered through his offered through his employer. His employer subsidizes that premium, so he's paying six hundred dollars for five hundred for five hundred dollars for a month for both of us, and his employer is subsidizing that and paying $1,000 for both of us, an employee plus a dependent, to have health insurance. Wait, is that subsidy, as you call it? Is that not standard? No. Oh, no, 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 no. So Hagana is very fortunate. And, and I've, we've worked, I've had other jobs, obviously, with employer-sponsored plans, and we've opted for Hagana's plan because it's just much better. We'll call it the Tesla like what's a plans. standard, like half and half? or Yeah, a standard is half and half. Um, I would say that for insured plans, half and half is standard. But there are some plans that pay all of the premiums for employees. Um, that's very, very rare, like super rare. Um, there are some pl plans that pay less. But I think um, a plan that's paying two-thirds is a very generous plan. Because think about that. That's $12,000 a year they're paying 
just for you and I to have healthcare. Um, that's on top of your salary. So let's put that into tax terms. Hagan is paying, um, and let's pretend this was a tax and that you weren't having a deduction for a premium to a private insurance company and instead you were paying a quote unquote tax. So you're paying $500 a month times 12 is 6,000. Your employer's paying $12,000 a year. So total 18 grand. What does that get you in terms of a tax? Like, let's say you're making $100,000. Mm-hmm. What's $18,000? Um, I don't have my calculator with me, oh but I think God. it'll be 18%. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So essentially, if that was a tax, it would be an 18% tax. Um, if there was a split where the employee employer was paying a portion of that, it would mean that you were paying essentially a 6% tax on your gross income, the amount of money you make pre-tax. So do you know what you pay for Medicare right now? Um, Okay, (laughs) of course he doesn't. I mean, there's only one number on my paycheck that matters. That matters. (laughs) (laughs) How much I get to spend. (laughs) Like how much money I actually get. Which is all of it. Haganah buys so many kitchen utensils. My God. I swear we get like seven Amazon packages a day. And I'm like, what is this, Hagana? And he pulls out My some. My consumer vices are kitchen utensils, which are both cheap and wonderful okay, at providing you food. No, it's. And PlayStation games, which are like $3 a piece. Yeah, but when you buy it, you have to look at the volume. When you're buying 3,000 PlayStation games every day. How much would it cost you day, to get the food that I make you on a daily basis from a restaurant? A lot. Hagana exactly. makes all the food, guys. Exactly. If okay. you don't know. Let, okay, so let's get back to healthcare. Yeah. Sorry. Marital strife. Okay. So in terms of a tax, you'd be paying 6%. What's the current tax you pay for Medicare right now? Two point. No, no? wrong, wrong. <laughs> wrong, just wrong. Okay, so the Medicare tax, Medicare is our single payer system for old people. People who are the most, Chloe is going crazy. People who are the most expensive to insure. We use all of our healthcare at the end of our lives, right? That's mm-hmm. when... We use the healthcare system the most, or the most expensive. We pay, all of us collectively, pay 1.45%. That's pretty close. I mean, you were close. Yeah. And you were actually close. pretty close. Yeah. 1.45% up to a certain threshold. I think the threshold's 130K. And then you pay an additional 0.9% if you're a high earner. Your employer also pays into that system. They're also paying 1.45%. So that's how Medicare is so, Okay, so you're saying funded. that... Every single person who works Works. full-time pays 1.4%. Every employer also pays 1.4%. And that funds all the Medicare for old people. Exactly, for old people. Our most expensive population to provide healthcare for. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to talk about some of the other other sort of costs we have in the system. So you're paying $6,000 a year. Your employer's paying $12,000. What does that get you? Are you able to just go to the doctor and you don't pay anything and it's free and it's easy? Uh, not quite, but I, I think I do pay $20 every time I go to actually okay. see a doctor. Okay. And um, do you have to pay any amount in as a deductible before you actually just start to really receive the benefits of the premium that you pay? Uh, I'm not really sure, but I think of what I get as kind of like a membership club because you know, we've not had health insurance. And yeah, that, we that definitely really have. Yeah, we've definitely not had health insurance. And 
Like, God, like, that ambulance bill we got. Oh my God. One time. Yeah, one time we got we were in, insured. <laughs> yeah, we got it. Was like $9,000 or $11,000 for like an ambulance trip? Yeah, it was literally $9,000 yeah, so, so, for so an ambulance ride. So I think of it ride. as like a, a membership use to not get billed ten thousand dollars for no, ambulance. I, I think I think that that's a that's an appropriate analogy. I think that you should think of the our employer sponsored plans as Costco memberships. You pay ninety nine dollars for the year mm-hmm. or eighteen thousand dollars for the year and then you get access to all these products that are good and quality, but they're at a discounted member only price. So if you weren't going to Costco, you'd pay two hundred dollars for that air fryer but because you're a Costco member, you get that quality air fryer for only $99. And that's a good way to think about it. You're not just getting free healthcare. You still have to satisfy your deductible. For us, it's $1,000. It's a very low deductible. There are many other plans out there that are employer-sponsored, what we would consider good insurance, that have $4,000 deductibles. So what was the deductible back when we had like Obamacare bronze. Oh, so when we had Obamacare bronze, I think our deductible was $2,800. Okay. So we were paying our monthly premiums and then we pay, let's just ignore things that are covered as preventive 100%. Um, we were also, in addition to those premiums, paying $2,800 before we got to zero, where we were really actually benefiting from the plan. Um, and now in some years... For us, we don't use the healthcare system at all. We're fairly healthy. Um, but then there are other years where I get food poisoning and have mm-hmm. to go in an ambulance or Hagana gets anaphylaxis and has to go in an ambulance. So for those years, maybe we're, you know, go actually benefiting from having our Costco membership. And in other years, we're just paying into the system for the privilege of being able to go to Costco mm-hmm. when we want to go. Um Okay, so I just wanted to note that there were other costs in addition to that, what we would consider an 18% tax on people making 100K. So I think that just my point there is that for folks who make, you know, $25,000 a year, $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year, are they paying different premiums than what you pay? Like, let's say, assuming you make 100 grand, do people that make $30,000 $30,000 pay a different price or are they still paying $500? I for- think it's pretty close still. They still pay just yeah. about the same price. Yeah. And so the membership fee, unfortunately, does not scale. It does not scale. And that's one of the um, things that, while in theory it sounds really fair, right? Oh, everybody pays $500 per month for healthcare access um, for premium. When you're making $100,000, that $500 doesn't seem like a huge burden, but when you're making $35,000, that's a lot of your dis- discretionary income going towards that Costco membership. Okay, so that's a problem. And th- this is for the good plans, the employer-sponsored plans. Now, let's say that, have you ever gone to the doctor using your insurance plan and gotten a bill? Uh, yes. Okay, what did what was that like? What was that experience? Um, it wasn't a lot of money. Uh, it was like one hundred and seventy dollars you know, for. I think that was when you, like, almost died. So, <laughs> for saving your life and all <laughs> the stuff like that a, they used, I was like, like all right, price. yeah, they saved your life. You know, you were there for like 
good 12 hours. Yeah. So $170 for them saving your life and 12 hours of hospital bedtime. I was like, okay, that's okay. I guess that's why we have insurance. Cause yeah. the last time that happened, it was $11,000. Right. Right. And so, um, that's just one other cost that I wanted to just briefly mention. So let's say you have your Costco membership for some services and for some employer sponsored plans, there's also what's called co-insurance, which is just a cost sharing mechanism that, um, prevents people from, or is intended to prevent people from overusing the system. So if you have a cost sharing mechanism where you're paying 10% co-insurance, at least you have some skin in the game. So you're not just going to go use the healthcare system over and over and over again. Not that this ever happens, but say in theory, it's possible. Wait, wait, right now, could I just go to the doctor once a month for a yes. monthly checkup and it would just be the $20? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. I mean, that would be a really boring life. No, I, I know. But I just, doctor like, it just never occurred to me, like, how much of this can I use? Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, like, provided there's a reason. I mean, eventually, I think your doctor would send you to a therapist. Can I get steroids? And, I mean, no. <laughs> okay. No. Why do you want steroids, you weirdo? I'm just asking what the limits are. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Proceed. I mean, the limits are anything. This is a good segue. What are the limits? Wait, okay. But old guys, can they get as much Viagra as they want, for instance? Yes. Because... Yes? Yes. Yes. Because well, that okay, is But not what... like... You can't get like plastic surgery, right? No. No. So cosmetic surgery is typically not considered... Yeah, I mean the we... cosmetic one, not like yeah. the burned in a fire one. So we'll get back to the balance bill issue in a second. But let's talk here because you've brought it up. So cosmetic surgery is what we would consider not medically necessary. Medically necessary is a defined term used in all of your health plans. And that's what, let's call, uh, let's describe how um, insurance, health insurance is actually paid and who decides what is paid. There are two ways to do this. There, it, there are employers who self-insure their plans. So they're paying out of pocket every year $150 million, $200 million to pro- actually pay the providers for, the, for their employees' health claims. There are some employers who say, oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that risk. I'm going to insure my plan. So I contract with Horizon, Aetna, whomever, and they are actually insuring the benefit. So I pay the premiums. And whatever claims actually come in, Aetna's on the hook for. There's a there's a stop loss mechanism in there too, but let's not get too much in the weeds. So everybody, the general rule is that you're self-insured or you are insured. And no matter what that what that setup is, you use a third party administrator. So you use an Aetna, a Horizon, an Independence Blue Cross to decide what claims should be paid and what shouldn't be paid. And what those third party administrators are doing, they're just using the plan terms, the medically necessary definitions, and they're lining them up and saying, deny, approve, deny, approve, approve, deny. So they're what we would consider death panels. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't say that, I don't say that word, that term in jest, but I know we hear a lot about death panels when we start talking about healthcare reform. And that's what I mean, they already exist today. You can have your doctor prescribe a life-saving surgery that your doctor says will help you. And your administrator will say, nope, not medically necessary. Or, oh, that's investigational. We're not covering it. Okay, slow down. Why? So how is medically necessary decided? 
So medically necessary, it's not just what your doctor says. It's not just, hey, my doctor prescribed this medicine. You have to make sure your health plan thinks it's medically necessary. Okay, but so, you mentioned death panels. Like if, if, if it's literally a life or death matter and the thing that's going to save your life is going to save your that's how is that not medically necessary it's, it's sometimes not i mean i'll speak generally like, but, like if but they get I it advise, wrong and and the person dies can they be like oh i guess it was medically necessary yeah but it doesn't matter um so i'll speak generally here but i've advised a lot of these committees i've been counseled to a lot of these committees i'm not speaking about any general employer here but we've even had instances where a participant has come in and appealed a decision that was denied, a claim that was denied. And they've said, here's a letter from my doctor. This brain surgery will save my life. And it's been denied because it's not considered medically necessary by an independent physician of the committee. So there is usually that backstop, like an in quote unquote independent physician hired by the third party administrator, the Aetna's, the Horizons. Um, but are those independent physicians giving the the claim in the medical file the same attention? If you think about incentives, are they giving that medical information the same attention and thorough review that the person's doctor gives? You know, possibly not. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, that absolutely happens. Okay. So what does this have to do with the plastic surgery Viagra questions I had? So, so what's covered under the plan is what's considered medically necessary. Cosmetic surgery is not usually considered medically necessary. It can be. Let's say you've run into a tree in your car and your face is messed up. Okay. Now Viagra? Medically necessary. What? Really? Yeah. I mean, okay. if you have a D-I-C-K, you got you to gotta have the full functionality of it, which includes that. Good to know. But I think that, that that gives you a sense of the biases that can exist in healthcare planning, right? It's it's not always, oh, it's a reproductive issue. We'll cover it. Because as we know, birth control wasn't covered on a lot of plans. Um, but and, and IVF is certainly not always covered in the way that it should be. Um, so it's not as much, it's not as simple as saying fertility issues covered. It's Viagra, yes. This IUI or this IVF procedure, no. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that answers your question about cosmetic surgery. So there's not there's there are limits. It's just those limits are predetermined and they're set. Okay, so let's go back to the balance billing. So let's say you have coinsurance, but there are times when you use your network provider. This has actually happened to us. I had to go to the hospital. We had our health insurance. It was not this health insurance. It wasn't our Tesla health insurance, but it was a plan. And I went to the hospital. It was someone that was in network. The hospital, the facility was in network, but the ambulance ride was not, which is why we got that $11,000 bill. So there are times when a participant, an employee can do all their diligence, can call the plan, can check that things are pre-certified and that they're covered. And then the anesthesiologist isn't in network. So they get a $100,000 bill after the fact. That's what we call a balance bill. Um, so the, the provider will recover what they can from the plan, those predetermined rates that they've negotiated, and then they will send the balance of what is owed to the participant. And that's when you're facing bankruptcy. 
how how is it that ambulances it's not like you it's, call 911 and they're like which of these three right. ambulance companies or I don't even know right. if there are. or how do you check the roster of everyone who's doing the surgery on you it's not like you go in and you say I want the Aetna anesthesiologist you're in network you think oh whoever this anesthesiologist is or whoever this nurse's assistant or whomever is they're all in network right I can't possibly go through the list as a user of healthcare and check ooh in network in network good 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 it's impossible um but that's the expectation and and you do run into people and uh, for me, this is indicative of the broken system. You run into situations where people do everything that they should have done and they end up in bankruptcy. Okay, question answered. <laughs> so um, when you think about, I mean, obviously, we benefit from the current system, right? We have Tesla health insurance. I work as a healthcare lawyer. I make a great living why why do we want change are we advocating for change what do you think about healthcare right now yeah i mean it really sucks to not have it i still remember when we didn't have it, it and no obviously we want everyone to have healthcare yeah i think um and i think that's what that's what like we the, start the, getting like the into... entire notion that this there's a membership club of like people who get all of this and then people who don't is ridiculous right but i think that the membership club our dogs are really playing today. I think that the membership club, um, we start to get at, I hear a lot of people who say, we can't provide everyone health insurance. We can't provide healthcare to everyone. That's so expensive. No way can we do that. But when you start looking at how prices are negotiated and structured, you look at the Costco clubs that we have right now. That's what we would call payers, right? The, the, um, the person, the company that your employer outsources insurance to is the payer, the Aetna, the Horizon. So they're negotiating on behalf of all of your employer's employees, not all of the United States. That's why when you hear about Medicare rates, you hear physicians complain. They're so low. I can't cover my overhead. I can't cover, I can't make a living if I'm being reimbursed Medicare rates because Medicare is negotiating on behalf of the oldest Americans who, like we said, use healthcare the most, are the most expensive to insure, but they're negotiating on behalf of everybody in that pool. Everybody. Instead of just 10,000 employees here, 20,000 employees there. And so, um, and so if you start to think about reform, and you start to think about the cost of that reform, you're, you're, if you expand that pool to all Americans, you're going to get bargain rates because you can use that as leverage. Hey, do you want Americans or do you not? Do you want to offer these drugs to Americans or do you not? And, and then you have much more leverage in that bargaining. So I have two questions. One, doesn't that screw the doctors? Like you just said, yeah. if, if they have to take Medicare reimbursement rates for everything, then they're, I don't know what the percentage loss of their income would be, but I would you know, guess it's pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. So um, hold on to your second question. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with that first one first. I think that's a real, I think that's a real concern with healthcare reform, but I like to think about this in terms of law because 
Um, because in law, we see a concentration of our, if you go to a top 10 law school, you're going to big law where the money is, right? So there's a concentration of lawyers at the top doing these big M&A deals, doing this big stakes litigation, making $300,000 a year because that's where the money is. So they go there. They may have started law school saying, I want to help people, but... <laughs> hey, that's how you started law school. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's not be criticizing me. Um, but that's that's the trajectory. And we still have people in rural areas who need lawyers. We still have public defenders, right? Every single criminal defendant has the right to a lawyer. We provide that as a society. We say, this is too important. Let's fund this. We don't want people to just go in and not have representation. Yeah, but th- th- those those organizations are so understaffed. Underfunded. They are, exactly. So we have to start thinking about if we're going to reform the healthcare system and we are going to provide healthcare to everyone, we have to start thinking about these collateral costs and externalities. So like with law, what we do to incentivize folks to go into the public interest, to be public defenders, we forgive their student loans. After a certain amount of service, they get their loans forgiven. So we can structure something like that to pull some people into, um, you know, maybe being a doctor in a rural area, which we already have an issue with that today. Um, But we have to be thoughtful about structuring, you know, structuring incentives to help lessen the load of doctors who go through an enormous amount of schooling and take on what's usually an enormous amount of debt um, to become doctors. I also think then when you start to pull out the, some of the inefficiencies of the system, something like 30, 40% of doctors' expenses go to overhead just dealing with insurance companies. So if you take out that that layer of inefficiency, you can start to make more money with you know a, a, a decreased negotiated reimbursement. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think if we do have healthcare reform, we have to sit at the table and we have to think about how will labor be concentrated with, with um, this kind of reform and think about how to incentivize physicians to go into areas that aren't just serving rich people because that's what we have in law. Um, yeah. My other question was, once you're on Medicare, like how do, who determines what is medically necessary? Like obviously there's a bit of com- not a bit there's a huge conflict of interest you know in the private insurance world right right with Medicare uh, do they do a better job of defining what's medically necessary? Is yeah. that problem somewhat alleviated? I mean it's somewhat alleviated, but it still exists. I mean there's going to be things I think because on the whole we have all of our folks over 65 that are sick that have issues that use healthcare frequently. Um, so it's much clearer what is covered and what the rates are than, um, you know, when you're dealing with hundreds, thousands of private insurers trying to figure out what their plan considers medically necessary. It would be easier to standardize across the whole because you know exactly what Medicare is going to pay instead of, ooh, this insurer is in California and what's the, what's medically necessary there? What do they think? What do they cover? Um, so at least it would be expected and transparent and, um, 
and would it would be standardized. So I think we would have a clearer idea of what is medically necessary. One additional question. Is the is the the rogue ambulance company or the out of network anesthesia is that problem solved in Medicare? So yeah, I mean because again, considering we'd have to consider how we would reform if we went to a single payer system. No, but right now, like if you're 70 years old on Medicare and your ambulance is somehow, I don't know, not in Medicare network. Yeah. Like, is yeah. that a possibility? Yeah. Like, can no. you still get a bill you, for? I mean, I'm sure there are ways you would still get a bill. I, I'm not a Medicare user. I only hear anecdotes. Um, but my sense is that your deductible in Medicare, I think, is $100 a year or $130 a year. As long as you worked the requisite quarters, everything's covered. And if you earn less than... So no one on Medicare is going bankrupt no, because of... Okay. No. No, you don't have the bankruptcy problem. And, and I think that when you start to think about efficiency gains, even in these employer, the good plans... And, Obviously, this is we are just talking about the people who are fortunate enough to have a job that provides healthcare. Let's be clear about that. I've had jobs that haven't, and it sucks. Um, so actually, yeah, that was another question. So when you worked at Sonic, yeah, no, how did you? There was no healthcare for part-time employees because that was pre any sort of protections that were put in place by the ACA. Yeah, when I worked at Sonic, I did not have health What about today? Then. If you're like a minimum wage worker, can, like can they do Yeah, they... because of the ACA, yeah, there are requirements now that employers have to provide healthcare and Wait, it has what does to... that mean by what do you mean by provide healthcare? Like are they paying for any of the So, premiums? no, there's no requirement that they have to pay. Usually if they're insured, if they're an insured plan, the insurance company would require that they pay 50% um, but that's not a requirement. There's nothing that says, hey, you have to subsidize your employees' um, coverage. There are requirements under the ACA that healthcare be affordable, otherwise you pay a penalty. So some companies will pay ACA penalties because they're cheaper than offering, I mean, this happens all the time, because they're cheaper than actually offering their employees' healthcare. But, um, you know, you have to be an employer of a certain size. So let's say someone's a small family company, they don't have to provide their employer's healthcare. Um, this is generally for those, you know, small to medium to large businesses that employ a certain number of people. And if that's the case, then they have to make it somewhat affordable or pay a fine. And some folks just pay the fines. Um, I wouldn't say that that's a trend, but I certainly know of examples. Um, so going back to your original question, which was? I think you answered most of my questions. Oh, did I? Well, the only other thing I wanted to talk about just briefly, because I hear it a lot, is when people are opposed to a single-payer system or healthcare reform in any sense, they say, I don't want to pay for other people's healthcare. Do you pay right now for other people's healthcare? I, well, we all sort of pay, right? Right. Like any anyone that goes to the emergency room and can't pay, that's eventually eaten by the government. Right. Right. But also in your pool, in because I hear a lot of people say, America is obese. America smokes. I'm not paying for all these people who are making poor lifestyle choices. Not that obesity is always a lifestyle choice, but that's what that's what they say. Um, 
So oh you, you, oh I see what we, you're saying. We do that. Yeah, yeah yeah. Obviously I'm I'm in a pool like. You, right. you kind of pay with everyone else in the membership club, right? So everyone exactly. else that's employed by University of Pennsylvania. Exactly. So everyone who, my all of plan. your coworkers, yeah. you're paying for their healthcare. And but but so, they're also paying for mine. Exactly. That's how insurance works. Right. <laughs> so you're, we're already doing that. But right now we're doing it in a very inefficient way because we're not leveraging our large numbers. We're just using small pools Instead of taking the Medicare approach, let's use the large pool, everybody over XYZ age, and we're, we're going to use that as leverage to negotiate a, um, a price. Talking about negotiating and bulk pricing, how does Costco get the prices that it gets? Oh, they buy in just massive, massive quantities. Exactly. A Costco contract is one of the best things that can happen to a small supplier. But I mean, obviously, there are huge, like some rules that go along with that. But Exactly, like quality yeah. rules and all that stuff. So just like Costco, our single payer would be negotiating far better, cheaper rates for everyone because we wouldn't be paying what we pay now if we extrapolated this to all American citizens. I think that's the thing that people get caught up on because they think they'd be paying what they pay now, the $18,000 a year, and it would just increase exponentially. No, the prices actually go down because you get rid of some of that overhead and all the, the expense that goes into coding and dealing with different insurance requirements and networks and whatever. And you literally can buy in bulk, like Costco buys in bulk, use that leverage to negotiate better prices for everybody. Okay. So I see some benefits for sure. And one benefit I see, uh, you know, people like doctors, right? They, yeah. They're heroes. They save lives. So we definitely want to protect doctors. We want to screw them over by lowering all their rates. Most people don't like pharmaceutical companies, right? So why don't we save the doctor's pay and then just <laughs> screw over the pharmaceutical and be like, hey, we're going to pay you a dollar an EpiPen or a dollar per whatever drug yeah. or and, insulin, like and all again, these things. Like, like you said with Costco, when you get one of those contracts from Costco, it is like, oopsie yeah, daisy. You're moving a couple million units. I yeah. love this. This is amazing. The same would be true in the pharma world. If if we had a single pair negotiating on the behalf of all Americans, you obviously well, that no, would be a huge. No, that's horrible for pharma, right? Because then well, right, you don't get the price discriminated against different groups exactly. and keep them all divided. Exactly. And... You don't have, we wouldn't have kids dying because they can't afford us insulin. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets to the, well, I'm certainly not an expert in healthcare reform. I can tell you what's wrong with the current system because I work with it. I profit from it. I benefit from the status quo. And here I sit advocating for reform. Um, I can't pretend to know and even consider all the collateral effects and the externalities we'd have to consider to really change our system. But I do think that having lived with medical conditions, having lived with a significant other who needs healthcare and certain medicines, it's a sin. It's a sin, and I'm not religious, but it's a sin that we let people die in America today because they can't afford their pills or a necessary treatment or whatever. You know, from a business perspective, from like literally from big pharma's perspective, they should actually want to take care of people, especially when they're younger. Like, no, like it's from a bottom line perspective, like yeah. being a really, you know, business first person. Yeah. You don't want a child to die because 
from lack of insulin because right? you make because all your money off of old people. Money. You make all your so money. So you actually off. want to They're, get you everyone to age users. 60, 70, 80, yeah. and then that's when you that's get, when that's you when really become the that's when you really profit. profit. Centers, yeah. I mean, well, think about tobacco. Like I feel like that's the best sort of analogy here. Big tobacco, they want you hooked early, right? They want you using their antidepressant, their anti-anxiety pill, their insulin, whatever the drug is, they want you using it early and often, mm -hmm. right? Get you hooked early and then you can, and obviously I'm, say, I'm saying that in jest, it's not an, an addiction like tobacco is, but that's the same business mindset you should have as a pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. You don't want people to die off, but the problem is if you're not making money off of these people, you don't care about them. Right? You don't care. If the person can't pay for insulin, why do you care? They can die. They're not a real customer to you. Yeah, but if you can get them to 65 and get them on Medicare, then you can make money off of them, right? Right. So yeah. really, the powers that be in pharma, they should try and get everyone, <laughs> the long keep game. everyone alive. Yeah. So then they can make all of the money off of them in their yeah. old age. Yeah. But I think when you look at how um, drug research and drug funding is concentrated and how the resources are allocated, it's just like everything else. So I do hear that uh, criticism, that yeah. yes, America pays more for healthcare, more for all these things than anyone else, but we're also kind of the cherry, we're the, it, right? We're the, like we're, we're the, the innovator. We're the care, like pharma companies innovate and they spend all this money on R&D because they know they, they can know sell it to they Americans can, for, right, for really high prices. A hundred times the, the cost, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So they get their they get their big payday in America. Is that what we want as a society? I mean, if R and D slowed down a little bit, but more people got basic healthcare, that seems like a net positive. Yeah. That seems like everyone wins. And and again, just like everything else, there's always a market solution for rich people. So there's always going to be a private layer of insurance of care on top of whatever basic, like you and I we would most likely have the single payer option and our employers, because they are good employers, they want to recruit, you know, certain employees, they would offer a subsidized private insurance option on top of that because we already have that today. Like folks aren't privy to this because they don't see, you know, a lot of health plans, but a lot of employers have the basic plan for employees. They have a supplemental sort of Cadillac plan for executives, for the C-suite. So the C-suite gets a sort of, and they'll pay penalties for this because it's a C-suite, but they'll get a sort of additional benefit on top of what everybody else is getting. So there's always going to be a market solution where money sits. So we won't just... So those guys get like the 12-hour Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... So, and I love how you said guys, because it's so true. Well, obviously it's going to be guys. Of course it's going to be guys. No, but um, honestly, that's, I, just, I remember now, I recently produced a course on comparative health systems and that's what, that's exactly what Germany does. Every, they, every, they all have the basic, actually that's how most countries do, Germany, right. England, they all have the basic plan for everyone. And then there's supplemental insurance that you can buy. Right. So right now in America, what we have is, and I think we say this a lot, we have a Gucci belt but we don't have pants for everyone. And if we had some kind of reform, we would have pants for everyone, and then you could add on the Gucci belt if you can afford it. And so, you know, if you want a private clinic, you pay for that. Um, but you're not, we're not going to have citizens dying or facing bankruptcy 
and losing productivity. I mean, imagine if you got a $100,000 bill in the mail because your anesthesiologist was out of network. Would you spend a day working? You'd be freaked out. You'd be calling every healthcare provider waiting on hold. Like, think about the efficiency losses. No, I mean, even for like the minor bill, like even the $100 bill, it, yeah. it takes hours to just get through someone on the phone. Right, yeah. right. And, and that's another criticism I hear a lot. I hear, I don't, how do you feel about going to the DMV? Oh, I dread it. Yeah, you hate it. Yeah. The DMV is where, where happiness goes to die. So if you have that experience with the DMV and you, you generalize from that to all government services, you're going to hate a sort of single-payer option that's managed by the government. However, incompetence, slowness, delays are not limited to the government. You guys all work with folks. It's a bell curve everywhere. There are really great employees, there are just average, and there are the terribles, right? It's a bell curve. So even today, if you intimately work with administrators with insurance companies you're not happy you feel just like how you feel when you leave the dmv the issue is you're you know in desperate need or your kids in desperate need of some treatment option and you feel hopeless so so yeah i think that sort of spinning the narrative and just recognizing that yeah sure it's not going to be all even if you look at Canada, wait times are an issue if you don't have an urgent health condition. But if you have, wait times are an issue because if you have a current urgent health condition, you are pushed to the top of the line and you are taken care of immediately. Honestly, that's better because remember in April, you know, as COVID was hitting, oh. there were, there were, you know, stories about how the super rich were reserving beds, ventilators. I mean, that's, Okay, maybe lines are long, but that's still better than a system where it's whoever can pay gets the treatment. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that that is a byproduct of just our society looking at poverty as a moral failure. I mean, we do. We do. We look at poor people and we think, you made bad choices. When in reality, they were just born into the wrong zip code. And I'm saying that as a person who was born in the wrong zip code. And certainly, you know, should not be where I am today. I am only where I am today because I met you and you were born in the rights of code with resources. And you kind of showed me that there are, that there were other options. Yeah. One of the, the depressing things I learned, you know, in law school, I think was how differently bankruptcy is viewed by people of different classes, whatever you want to call it. Like there's a, there's a huge shame that goes along with the word bankruptcy, right? Yeah. For, for most Americans, but then you look at the super, it's just a, it's just a mechanical tool right. to a lot of times make more money like right. later no, on. It's often, just, it's a consumer. It's like a button you push to, you know, yeah, when things reset. go wrong. It's exactly, it's, it's a reset. just resetting your computer. It's just a reset. And, and they and, don't feel any shame about it, but yeah, there's, no. you're right. I mean, look this. at our, the president of the United States has gone through bankruptcy how many times? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people who are, who are rich, tend to use capital and they're leveraged and bankruptcy is, it's just a reset button. It's like, oops, I overdid it a little much. Try again. Um, whereas if you're, like you said, if you're, a, if you have less income, fewer resources, you think of it as a moral failure and you resist, folks resist 
that bankruptcy and it ends up it ends up slowing the bleeding but it prolongs the period of suffering and the death instead of and rich it, people in the know they actually use the threat of bankruptcy as a tool right. to get better right i mean even yeah, terms, for yeah. even for us like as we've been negotiating with landlords we know we have that consumer protection in our back pocket and we use it we tell our landlords our commercial landlords hey we need rent relief we've got four months and then it's bankruptcy but that's because we're we don't feel like it's a moral failure it's a tool and it's really sad that that narrative has been again i think it's an oppressive narrative and it's used strategically against poor people so you know they don't use that protection oh man this got we got real into this today yeah um so Let's i think wrap that, it up any final thoughts no i think the takeaways are we already pay for everybody's health care and they pay for ours and they pay for ours um and and i think um it's not as expensive as it looks. We have so many payers. There's so many, there's so much inefficiency and there's layers of profit. Do you think that like the administrators, the insurance companies aren't taking a layer of profit? No, that's what infuriates me about insurance is there should, I mean, if anything should be run by the government, it's insurance. It's, it's insurance. Just, it's, it's just math. It's like, just pulling risk it's not like and Apple, pricing risk. you know, creating a smarter insurance. Like it's just, it's just numbers. Right. It's just numbers. It's just math. It's pricing risk. Um, so yeah, there's all these layers of profit and we're not paying what it actually costs. And, um, and even folks who have the, what we call good health insurance are still at risk of bankruptcy. You know, it'd be interesting. Like, there, I know there's price tags on Medicare for all. It'd be interesting to actually just take from that and subtract out the entire health insurance industry's profits and see where but we that's, are. I mean, but that's part of our issue, right? In America, we measure the economy and its success in terms of GDP. And healthcare spending is taken into account um, when we look at GDP. It's something like 30% or something, 20% of our GDP is on healthcare more spending is not better in the healthcare sense. Like sure, consumer spending, you want people buying widgets, you want people manufacturing more widgets and people buying machines and cars and supplies and all that stuff. Healthcare, like more spending is not better, but that's how we, that's how we um, look at things. So yeah, we'd have major job loss or job shifts to, you know, the uh, new government the administration new, right, on, right. Yeah, Medicare but but I think that that's a lot of the resistance is that in America we need jobs period so offering some sort of reform that automatically cuts jobs people are going to be really reluctant there's going to be resistance but it those jobs shouldn't exist anyway let's talk about that next time the jobs yeah it's, it's an interesting thing it is an really interesting think thing about it it's so interesting it like is. why are we all working so much yeah. we don't all need to work so if you much. just read like if you use a different word let's create work like, right. that sounds ridiculous right sounds ridiculous <laughs> but that's what we do let's create paid work let's create yeah. let's let's capitalize on inefficiency so we have more work mm -hmm. so we can tie work to you know food and making a living okay we'll do that next time we'll do that next time all right let's thank our sponsor one more time hagana go for it We'd like to express our <laughs> gratitude to Tuck Bar and Yoga, the premier bar and yoga, sorry, the premier boutique bar and yoga studio go. in the Philadelphia area. Bar that burns. Yoga that melts. Thanks, guys.